Lord, we thank you uh, for this morning. And God, we thank you um, that your gospel has become known to us, God, that you've shined it into our hearts. God, you've offered it to us as a free gift, not of our own merit, our own works, God, but simply because of your love for us. God, you are so good to us and so faithful. So we open your word this morning. I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'll uh, go ahead and release the kids to Children Church. Hey, bud. That's mine, Matthew. Well, to echo what Gabe said, it truly is uh, a beautiful perspective to be sitting in the front and hearing uh, the the congressional singing. Uh, When I hear those voices come forward, uh, it's an entirely different experience from sitting in the back. So if you're normally a back sitter, I uh, maybe encourage you to sit up front next week. Even if it's just one time, I know it's scary. Beautiful thing. Um, Truly is such an honor uh, and a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Never in a million years would I have imagined that I would have this opportunity to open God's Word uh, with you. Without going into uh, my whole testimony, uh, my my life should look very differently uh, if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in me. Um, And the, the, the title of today's message, Powerfully Ordinary, you know, as I look around this room and I see so many of your faces... I see so many of you who are powerfully ordinary and had such an impact on my own life. Uh, And the reason why I was able to um, come to a place of hearing God's word because you were faithful to proclaim it to me. So one of the things that happened for me right after I graduated high school uh, was I took the advice of so many of you powerfully ordinary individuals and I decided to read the Bible. Now, I had sat here for years upon years hearing uh, the Word of God preached to me and taught to me in different ways, but I had never actually taken the time to sit down and open it for myself. And so I decided to do this, and I opened up to the Gospel of John, and I prayed a, a prayer like I just did that I have so many times. God, give me ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for me through this text. As I read through the gospel, uh, I experienced what Hebrews 4.12 tells us, and that is the word of God is a living and active word. It's not just some dusty book full of small print that's hard to read unless I hold it up close, but it's living and active. And I found the gospel of John wasn't enough for me. I wanted to read the rest of the gospels, and I wanted to go on from there. So I got into Acts and Romans and First and Second uh, Corinthians, and I just kept going and going, hungry for more of this living and active Word of God. Which brings us into Acts 7 today. As it was set up for us last week, we were introduced to this seemingly insignificant character named Stephen. Now, the interesting thing about Stephen is that as I've read about him and heard about him through my own study of Scripture, I would put him in the same list of people like David and Abraham and Moses, a powerfully ordinary individual full of the Holy Spirit doing the work of God. And yet, unlike that list, the pages in Scripture denoted to him are rather brief. And yet, Stephen, this seemingly insignificant individual waiting on tables, as Pastor Chuck pointed out for us last week, 
was doing far more than waiting on tables through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he was preaching the word of God, doing signs and wonders that drew the attention of the religious leaders. And these religious leaders, and through a bunch of uh, hodgepodge accusations, come against him and put him on trial much in the same manner that Jesus Christ was. And our text starts in 7-1 when the high priest looks at Stephen, a man full of faith in the spirit whose face shined like that of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? Now my general inclination when I am confronted with something that I may or may not have done is to immediately begin thinking through in my mind how to respond to their accusations instead of truly listening to what they're accusing me of. But Stephen full of faith in the Holy Spirit, begins to share a story that they are all too familiar with. As he begins to give a brief history of God's dealings with the Jewish people, starting with Abraham and going through the promised covenant, the fact that they would be enslaved, but God promised that he would deliver them from that slavery. And as he goes through this text, I won't read all 43 verses of it this morning, but I encourage you to do so later. What we'll see over and over and over again are the but God moments, where despite Israel's rejection, despite Israel's despair, God was faithful to the Jewish people. Now it's interesting because why would Stephen go through this history with a people that clearly knew the text that he was sharing? It's not like he was on an evangelistic crusade where he was preaching to people that never heard the word of God. He was giving a message that they had heard. Some of them knew so well they could recite it without looking at it, without reading it. I think it's because Stephen had a different perspective on the word of God. If you remember Jesus, he had accused these religious leaders of being whitewashed walls and empty tombs whose Ability to praise him with their lips was great, but their hearts were far from him. See, they, they knew the word of God, but they didn't know the God who gave the word. So what we see here is that Stephen was powerfully ordinary, and I believe it was because he spent time in the quiet places. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that term, quiet places, or having your quiet time. But I know for me, as my wife and I over the last 10 years have lived in three states and four homes, each home that we've lived in, I've quickly found my quiet place. The place that I knew, no matter what the day threw at me, I could run to, and that's where I would meet with the presence of God. It was only in those places that, especially in the early years of our marriage and the turmoil of being young, it was only in those places and through God's presence and his perspective that I continued to be formed and shaped into the image of a son. But my question for us this morning is, like Stephen, do we spend time in the quiet places? See, Stephen would have been familiar with the story of Jesus and he would have seen how Jesus had spent time with his father in the quiet places. We see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus rising early to go and meet with the Father. And Jesus even tells people when they accuse him of what he's doing, listen, I'm only doing what the Father's given me to do. Because he had met with the Father. 
So how often do you meet with God in the quiet places? Do you find yourself there daily? Weekly? Or maybe just when life hits you like a rock in the jaw and suddenly you realize how ordinary you are and how desperate for God's presence you really are. You see, when I was 16 years old, uh, my dad passed away. I was young and, of course, not something that most of us at, at that age expect. And I remember for several years, I could remember certain things about my dad. I, I could remember uh, the feel of his hands, the, the touch of his beard when he would hug me, his embrace, his voice, even the, the fine little vessels that you see on someone's nose from being a little boy and studying him so intently as little boys do, so often we want to be like our dad. But as time has passed, as I've grown older and I've started to get the gray hairs in my own beard that he had, I start to think about my dad and I can't remember him so clearly anymore. I look at pictures and I, I try to get that back and it's, it's gone. You see, sometimes I think we forget that when we forsake the quiet places in our lives. We think that somehow we're powerfully ordinary apart from the Holy Spirit and that I can go on and do things without meeting with God in the quiet places and we begin to forget what God even looks like, what he sounds like, what his touch feels like. See, if you know the Lord and you've walked with him long enough, you can recognize the voice of God. You can recognize when his presence has shown up. You can recognize when it's him leading you and giving you the peace. And yet, no matter how hard we try, when we step away from the quiet places and we begin to do it in our own strength, we, be, we begin to forget what God looks like. But see, to be powerfully ordinary, we have to make time for the quiet places. We have to be willing to meet with God. We have an enemy who even today will come against us and he will accuse us. He will lie to us. He will lie about our God. Oh, God, God will not provide for you. He'll never be faithful to you. He'll never take care of that. This thing he's called you to do, he's not going to show up for you. But see, as we see in this text that Stephen is giving to the religious leaders. Despite all of Israel's rejections and failures, God was faithful. See, if I, if I simply focus on today, I might see my day as a failure. But it's when I begin to focus on God's faithfulness in my own life in the quiet places that I begin to realize just how good he is and how I am not the same man today that I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that through the power of God, I'm changed and continue to change. When we have an enemy that is going to beat us up and an enemy that is going to tear us down, we have to make time for God in the quiet places. I make a habit, and I encourage you to do the same, of at least once or twice a year simply reciting my own story, my own God story, out loud with the Lord in my quiet place. It might take me 30, 45 minutes, an hour sometimes. I don't know. But by the time I get to the own end of my own story that I know, 
I'm reminded of just how faithful God is. So then when somebody stands and he accuses me of doing the work of God, I can know whose I am. And I can be powerfully ordinary through the Holy Spirit because I spend time with him in the quiet places. And I know what he looks like and I know what he sounds like and I know what he feels like and I know he's there because I feel him. But see, when we don't make time for those quiet places, how quickly we do forget what God looks like, don't we? And we begin to fasten or form a God in our own image. Because when we get away from somebody, you know, we all do this. We tell stories about people that we haven't seen in 15, 20 years, and, and suddenly the tale that was probably pretty truthful the first time we told it becomes embellished. You know, the fishing tales. You tell that story about the time you caught a fish that was this big, and 20 years later you're telling everybody it was this big. You start to fasten a fish that, that doesn't really look like the one that you originally caught because with time and the forgetfulness of the true events, we, we just try to make it up to keep the story alive because it was so good. Well, we see this in Exodus 13, or, th- or 32, sorry. Moses and Joshua had gone up on the mountain to meet with God. They were in the presence of God. And Aaron remained below with the assembly of the people, which, keep in mind, was no small assembly. We're not talking about a few hundred people. We're talking about several hundred thousand people. And the people remarkably say, after all that they've seen God do, Aaron, we don't know what's happened to this Moses and this God. So we need something to worship. We need a God that we can praise. So Aaron, in just complete disregard for God, He says, well, give me all your gold and we'll make something. So if you know the story, you know that they make a golden calf. And while Moses and Joshua are still up on the mountain, God reveals to Moses what's happened. And Joshua said, hey, it sounds like battle's going on in the camp. And and Moses said, there is no sound of defeat. There is no sound of victory down there, but only the sound of a people rejoicing. And what were they rejoicing over? A God, an idol that they had formed with their own hands. Moses comes down the mountain, and in anger, he throws the tablets that God had just written the word for on, breaking them. He grabs the golden calf, he burns it down, takes the golden dust, puts it in water, and makes the people drink it. Something we can't even fathom in our culture today, an event like this happening. And then in one of the most stunning comments I've ever heard, he confronts Aaron, and he says, how how did this happen? And Aaron said, listen, I just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. Now, if you guys have kids, you hear that almost every day. Your son goes falling down the stairs and you ask your daughter, what happened? I don't know. I was standing there. He was walking by. My foot fell off my leg. I think it tripped him and down he went. Really? You, like you had no involvement in that whatsoever? But see, Moses wasn't afraid to burn the idol that the Israelites had made in their own hands. Which is why being powerfully ordinary like Stephen also means that we too must burn the boxes. We too must burn the idols that we craft. In Acts 7.44, Stephen will go on to say, our fathers had the tent of wilderness. Sorry, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. 
according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? All right, so to be very clear right away, Stephen in no way should be taken as speaking against the tabernacle or the temple, okay? The tabernacle was given by design to Moses to build. The temple, it says right here in the text that David found favor to build, and yet it was his son Solomon that built it. All right, so Stephen's not saying that something went wrong here. So what is he saying? You see, God had given these institutions to the Jewish people because he was bringing himself low to the Jewish people. He was providing a meeting place. Now, if you think about this, when we, when we go back to the story in Exodus 32 and 33, after God's uh, dealing with the people, the people are broken over their sin of making this golden calf. And God has told them, he said, listen, I'm still going to fulfill my promise. I'm still sending you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send my angel. Of course, Moses, being a man that trembled at the word of God, said, Lord, if you're not going with us, don't send us. And the text tells us that he set a, a, a tent of meeting far outside of the camp. This was before the tabernacle had been built. The instructions had been given, but it hadn't been built yet. At this point, the people see the effects of their sin and God's anger, his wrath. And it says that when Moses would go out to meet with God in this tent, the people, picture this, hundreds of thousands of people would stand at the entrance of their tents waiting for Moses to go in to meet with God. Because when he would go in, a cloud, the presence of God would descend on the tent and then the people would stand at their tent doors, and they would worship the living God. And then it tells us that even after Moses would return to the assembly, the young man named Joshua would remain there, continuing to seek God and worship him. You see, what, what Stephen is pointing out is not that the institution of the tabernacle, not the building of these things was bad, but it was that the Israelites had continued to try to confine God to the temple. But what does God tell us? He says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? I have made all of these things. And yet how often do we look at God and, and we say, hey God, this gift that you gave me, we somehow turn it back and say, Lord, look what I'm giving you. See, when I become powerfully ordinary through the power of the Holy Spirit, if I'm not careful, I let it go to my head, and instead of receiving the gift and praising God for it, I say, God, look how well I did for you today. And we turn the gift somehow into a gift that we give back to God. But God refused to be walled in. You know, these walls that I've looked at so many times over the years as I've been here, oh, these are beautiful walls. To some, they might just be plain, simple walls, but these walls have contained so many times of prayer and worship and the hearing of God's word. I thank God for these walls that give us a place to meet weekly. But do we forget that the presence of God doesn't dwell at this pulpit? 
but he dwells in each of us that are true believers. So that when we leave these doors here in just a few minutes, we're not leaving the presence of God here, but we're going out with the presence of God. See, if we're honest, all too often, if I were to say, here's the presence of God, I'd like to seek it and look into it while I'm here. And then when I leave, instead of taking it and remembering that it's with me and I have this incredible Holy Spirit power to be powerfully ordinary, I like to leave it there and go into my week. And how quickly I forget I'm so ordinary. And apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of me and moving through me, I have no hope. So the question I have is, what ways have you tried to box God in? What ways have you tried to somehow manipulate the Spirit of God and keep him in certain compartments of your life? There's a lie in our culture, and I'll call it the when-then lie. It goes something like this. When I've earned enough money, and I've bought a big enough house, and I have enough money in my retirement, and my kids are set for their future, then I'll be obedient to all the things that God has. I've done that so many times. And yet the reality is, I think sometimes we forget that our life here on this earth is but a vapor. And sometimes we spend all of this energy preparing for this little portion of retirement at the very end. And then all of a sudden we try to go and seek God one day and we try to figure out how we missed all the good things that he had for us. You know, one of the things I had to constantly ask myself are the decisions that I'm making for me, for my family, for our future today, are these decisions that are setting us up for a better future, for a better success? Or they're going to draw us close to the presence of God? See, if, if there's ever a decision to be made, I want to be like Moses that says, God, if your spirit doesn't go with my family and I, We're not touching that. We're not going near it. I don't care how it sets my kid's future up. I don't care how it sets up my retirement. I don't care what it does. If your spirit's not there, if I don't have that, I don't move. But unfortunately, I think, myself included, all too often, we'd rather box God in and do what's best for us today. So to be powerfully ordinary, we have to burn the box. For each of us, it's something different. Ways that we've tried to keep God out, but listen to how good God is. All you have to do once God convicts convicts you and you realize what you've done to try to compartmentalize him and keep in certain areas, simply say, God, I'm sorry. I've sought you for my business so it would go well, but I've kept you out of my family life and it's crumbling apart. You know, God's not like us when we get upset with each other, when we feel shorted by one another, we put up walls and like, hey, you didn't have time for me yesterday. I don't have time for you now. But God's not like that. God says, I've been waiting for you to come and invite me in. Stephen will finish with a very harsh rebuke in Acts 7.51. 
And he'll say this. He'll say, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The Israelites had grown weary. They'd grown weary with God's promises. They'd grown weary with God showing up. They decided that he wasn't fitting in the box. Remember in the Exodus story, we're only talking about a few short decades here, and yet constantly there's this question of God and his faithfulness. God had promised the Messiah who, Stephen says, you have now betrayed and murdered. And yet, just like they tried to confine God into a box, into the temple, they rejected the Messiah because he didn't fit the Messiah that they had in mind. And so they tried him, they betrayed him, and they murdered him. Stephen's accusation is, is incredibly harsh and yet so needed because they had heard the word of God as delivered by angels and yet they had decided that they knew best. They were stiff-necked, uncircumcised. So what does that mean for us today? When I think of stiff-necked, I, I take it literally. Is my neck just simply pointed this way? If has anybody ever woke up in the morning, you slept wrong, and you literally feel like if you move your neck too far, you're going to break it? I've done that, like my muscles spaz up or something. Well, being stiff necks kind of like that. We just keep our eyes just straight ahead on what we want, and all along the way, we ignore God around us. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we say that we're not stiff necked, are we aware of what God's doing around us? And are we eager to jump in? If we say that we're not uncircumcised and hard in ears, do our hearts belong to God? You know, one of the things that has been so disastrous for us is this little device in our pocket called a cell phone. And here's why. We face something incredibly difficult in our lives, our marriage, raising our children, our jobs, and instead of going to a pastor, a close friend, a father, a mother, someone that we can seek counsel, instead of going to God, we pull out our phones and we Google. Google, what do I do when this is happening? What do I do when my marriage is falling apart, when my kids are being disobedient? Suddenly we get these ideas in our heads. Well, if your kids are being disobedient, Google says it's because of this, this, and this. You need to get this, this, and this, and it'll be taken care of. But we've never addressed it from a spiritual aspect and the perspective of a living God through a living and active word. Being powerfully ordinary means that, like Stephen, we're able to see God as, as someone that is part of every aspect of our lives, and, and because of that, we have a different perspective. We see a finish line. And so every obstacle that comes along the way, every trial that we face, isn't something simply to pray through and get God to remove, but it's an opportunity to see God glorified more and it's a mile marker reminding me I'm getting closer and closer and closer to what Philippians 1.6 says is the day of completion when I see him face to face. 
I love that in this video, the pastor, when he knew that he was being recorded and that his, his face and his words would go out to a Western church that had so many resources at his disposal, he could have asked for anything. But what did he ask for? Prayer. Not money, not clothes, not food, not homes. Prayer. Do we understand the power of prayer because of the living God the way that they do? Do we understand like them that life's obstacles and trials are a way to bring glory to him? I shared this story last night, but my wife and I were in Central Asia. It was uh, 10 years ago in January. And we were doing home visits in this remote part of the, the country and uh, we met with this lady, and uh, she prepared this fabulous meal uh, that she set out before us, and um, so much fun in these cultures, sitting down on the floor and just eating these meals with your hands, family style. If you're a guy and you get to get messy and nobody can complain about it, it's awesome. And as we're listening to her story, you know, one of the things that we noticed is that she has uh, bruises and marks all over her body. And she begins to tell us that her husband... Uh, who is a Muslim, is an over-the-road truck driver. And so he was gone for, for large, uh, long stretches of time, but when he would come home, he would beat her. And he would try to get her to renounce Jesus and say that he didn't exist, that he really didn't save her. And us being young and, to my shame, not really knowing any sort of different perspective other than what we had grown up in as a Western culture, we said something along this, if he beats you, why are you still with him? I'll never forget that tender-faced woman when she said to us, listen, if I leave him, who's going to share the word of God with him? You see, you have to remember, this is a predominantly Muslim country. It's not like there were churches on every street corner. It's not like there were many opportunities for those who hadn't heard to hear the word of God. She counted her life as nothing for the sake that maybe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, her husband would receive the gospel. I believe that this woman, like Stephen, saw the finish line. She knew that her life was temporary. She knew her suffering was temporary. And because of it, because her eyes were fixed on a finish, she could trust God with today. Came across this article yesterday, and it's from GQ magazine. Some of you guys are familiar with them. And they had an article saying the 21 books that you can toss in the trash. Some of you guys may have seen this. Any guesses on what book made it on the list? The Word of God. It says the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. And those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Now my argument would be that whoever read this Bible and wrote this article was not doing it 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I can admit that if you simply pick up this book and you are just reading it to read it, it's going to be a dusty old book. But if you read it with the ears and the eyes of God and a heart open, powerful wonders begin to take shape in our hearts. You see, Calvary Community Church here in Williams Bay, Wisconsin, the reality is what determines if people outside of these walls care about our existence or not is how much we're yielded to the Spirit or quench the Spirit. See, one of the things that I've noticed since I was a young boy growing up in this church is that this church has dramatically changed in taking a growing approach to preaching the gospel in the nations and reaching to some of the darkest areas in our culture to bring the hope of Christ. See, when we do that, people are going to care in one of two ways. Either one, they're going to rejoice because we brought a hope and a message that nobody else had. Or two, they're going to hate it because they're not going to understand it because they don't have the Holy Spirit and people always oppose what they don't understand. Zach Williams is a Christian artist that I've taken a liking to because he has a bit of a country twang. And maybe because of living in Arkansas and Oklahoma and Kentucky for the past decade, that's rubbed off on me. And the fact that I'm married to a Texan. I hear an amen. (laughs) I've traveled with enough teams around the world that everybody always says, so where are you from? And the response is always America, unless you have a Texan on the team, and they always say I'm from Texas. Don't understand it. But Zach Williams in his song has these lyrics. He said, fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath and he will stop you in your steps. I hope that the impact that Calvary Community Church is having on Walworth County is one that leaves people hungry for more, that leaves people rejoicing in God for the message that's being proclaimed. But if people hate us because of the message that we bring, praise God that we can suffer as Christ too suffered. And may we not fall into fear because the spirit of fear will always be there to say, listen, people don't like your message. Just stop saying it. Or can't you say the message if you just water it down a little bit and make it a little bit safer and maybe they'll like you more? No. Don't buy into it for a moment. Remember, being powerfully ordinary means we see the finish line. So no matter what we go through, no matter what we suffer today, ridicule, hardship, loss of a job, a family member, look to the finish line. So if apart from the Holy Spirit, we are simply ordinary, what is keeping us from full surrender? To me, full surrender looks something like this. It's holding our hands out before the Lord and saying, God, I don't know what you have for me today. I don't know what you have for me this week. I don't know if you're calling me to some nation or to some new work, but I want you to know that my answer to you already is yes. See, for me all the time, being the personality type that I am, I want to have all the answers. I want to say, God, okay, so I think you're saying this, but before I know that it's you that's saying this, 
what about this? So where are we going to live? How are we going to move there? Uh, how are you going to provide for us? Are we going to have health insurance? We... I go through my laundry list of things that I need to know. And suddenly I realize that my trust is in all the information that God gives me and not in the living God that has never once forsaken me or failed me. I promise you, I've tried to find ways in my life where God has somehow failed me or forsaken me and never once have I been able to see a time where God was not faithful to come through. So surrender has a posture that says, God, whatever you have for me today, the answer is yes. All you have to do is tell me and I'm there. I'm doing it. I'm speaking it. We all have the power to be powerfully ordinary because what sounds like a contradiction, what sounds like an oxymoron, I promise you it is because we are just ordinary. But what makes us powerful is the living God, the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's not confined here. He's confined in each one of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So Lord, we thank you so much for your awesome and faithful presence in our lives. All the times, God, that we can look back and say, I don't remember much about that season. It was pretty dark, but I remember God showing up and getting me through it. And I remember that being a light that guided me. Oh, Lord, your word is a beautiful lamp into our feet and a light into our path. May we walk out, God, with illuminated hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting you to use us as you use Stephen to be powerfully ordinary in Walworth County and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and hear God's good word for you this week. Each one of you are a disciple maker. And you are powerfully ordinary through the power of the Holy Spirit. I send you into your week to make disciples. And I remind you that no matter what hell tries to throw at you, Jesus Christ is with you to the finish line. Amen.